want to call your attention to a passage of scripture we've been studying for the last three weeks found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Christmas holds a lot of different meanings and memories for each of us. If I ask you to give me your favorite Christmas memory, uh, you might have one. If you were to share with me your greatest crisis or hurt or problem or sadness related to Christmas, you, you may have that, and today you may be experiencing that. It may be completely internal, something that you can't explain to even to those closest to you, but for whatever reason, there is a darkness, a sadness on the inside, even as we are celebrating Christmas. Maybe you lost someone this year or in past years, and their memory is causing you to uh, experience grief. Maybe there's a very real crisis happening in your home, in your family right now, and so you are easily distracted from what it seems like everybody else is enjoying, and that's Christmas. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ is called here the Prince of Peace. And whatever storms you're experiencing in your heart, his desire this morning is that you would know him as the Prince of Peace. And so with that in mind, I want to read this passage of Scripture, reminding you that it was a prophecy given by a prophet during a very dark period in the history of his nation. Judah and Israel were divided. There was a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom. Uh, the people who lived at the very northernmost part of the northern kingdom had already been conquered by a foreign country, and they were living in and uh, they were oppressed, they were enslaved, they were in bondage, they were sad, they were a broken people. That region was the very region where 700 years later Jesus would be raised. It was called Galilee. And Isaiah 9 is addressed and talks about those people. That the rest of the nation is also going to fall, also going to be destroyed. But, but there's a people to the north, they have seen a great light. A people in darkness will have seen a great light. What is the great light? Well, he describes this great light in verse 6. And it's a light that involves a person that is going to live 700 years later. Isaiah didn't know that. But it was a prophecy. And so with that in mind, this is the light, this is the answer, this is the hope for people in darkness. He says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There are a couple of questions that I want to pose uh, based on this passage of Scripture today. We're, we're focusing on that fourth title, Prince of Peace. And here's the question. Who is the Prince of Peace? Who is the Prince of Peace? If you and I were reading this and we didn't have the New Testament, we didn't have Christmas, didn't have any of those things, and we were just reading this text, who is this Prince of Peace? Well, there's several things that we can learn by just carefully looking at the text. First, 
He is both man and God. He is both man and God. Whoever this passage is talking about, it's talking about a person who is both man and God. Now, we haven't spent a lot of time on this as we looked at the other three titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, but, but the truth is here. And I want you to see it in a couple different ways. Addressed to a hopeless people in darkness, it says, unto us a child is born. Two chapters earlier, the same baby is talked about in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And, um, and this baby would be born to a mother without a father. It would be a miraculous birth. And he's going to be named in Hebrew, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, that's a big clue, isn't it? And so this child is born, but he is understood from the beginning, even by his name, to be different than any other human being that has ever been born. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's a little odd, because usually a son is given to a couple, given to maybe an individual mom, but it says unto us a son is given. And I can't help but think about the New Testament scripture, uh, the one that many of us learn early on if we were raised in church, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that what did he do? That he gave, gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. A son is given, and the father is said in John 3, 16, to have given his own son. Now, it goes on, describes these names. Now, these are not names that God is giving to the baby. These are names that the people experiencing this child, who would encounter this child, they experience him, and because of their experience, they call him Wonderful Counselor. Because of their experience with him, they call him Mighty God and Everlasting Father. Now, that first one, Wonderful Counselor, we studied it a couple weeks ago, and it says, that, obviously, that he's someone of great wisdom, and, but it adds wonderful to it. And wonderful, we, we, we say it all the time, well, that was wonderful, that was great, wonderful, wonderful. But, but when you think of the word wonder, you know, the seven wonders of the world, we're talking about something that's so awesome, so amazing, and uh, it's actually the basis for the word miracle. And this, this person, when he gives counsel, it is awesome counsel. It is wonderful counsel. And it speaks to something beyond a normal human being. When it says mighty God, it uses a Hebrew expression, El, which means God, Gibor, mighty, mighty God. And, and that is extremely unusual. In the Hebrew mind, uh, outside the Jewish world, people might refer to men as gods. But in the Hebrew mind, that was blasphemy. And yet here's a child is born, son given, and he's called mighty God. And, and lest there be any mistake, lest we back up and say, well, he was just talking about how wonderful this guy was, so he just calls him mighty God as, as if he was a great person. In the very next chapter, in chapter 10, it uses the same expression, El Gabor, to refer to the God that people turn to when they've been disobedient. They turn to El Gabor. They turn to mighty God in the very next chapter. Now, how likely is it that an author is going to change gears from one chapter to the next? It's not. And so this child born, son given, is called mighty 
God. And then it calls him everlasting father. And uh, it's unusual to call a baby father. And we studied that last week and how Jesus came and the dominant way in which he chose to reveal God was as father. Over 189 times in the New Testament, he refers to God as father. He taught us that. That's a very rare usage in the Old Testament. Very dominant one in the New Testament. And Jesus, some aspect of who he is, uh, would cause people to call him everlasting father. Well, what's really significant there is the word everlasting. Now, how many of us are everlasting? You may have thought your little kid was everlasting, but we all tire out. We all wear out. Um, they, no one is everlasting, but this one is called everlasting. And then we come to this title, Prince of Peace. But that's the first thing I want you to see. He's both man and God. We could dive into that, spend all of our time talking about that, but I want to keep going. He's not only man and God, but number two, this Prince of Peace, he is a person, he brings peace to the ones he rules. He brings peace to the ones he rules. That word peace in Hebrew means shalom. I think that's a really cool way to greet one another. So if you all want to start something new this week, just say shalom. And that'll be a great conversation starter. You say, what do you mean by saying shalom? I say, well, I worship the Prince of Peace. You know, you can just start talking about it. What is shalom? Shalom means whole. Shalom means the absence of conflict. Shalom is describing life in the presence of God and when God's in charge. When God rules, when God is in full control, when, when it's the way he wants it to be, we call that existence shalom. And, and, and so that's what life looks like when he's in charge. And by the way, that's the way life is as God intends it to be. If we listen to him, follow him, uh, allow him to live his life through us, we can experience shalom. We'll say more about that in a moment. But shalom is life as God intended it to be. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, there's, a, there's a teaching that there's a kingdom of God coming throughout the Old Testament. And it is taught with greater and greater clarity starting in the book of Exodus and then you move into the prophets and they are looking forward to the time when God is going to come whoop up on all the enemies, and put the world back the way God intended it to be. See, one of the greatest mistakes you and I make is thinking that the world today is the way that God made it originally. Um, and when we get in a conversation with somebody, especially someone who doesn't know God, uh, they really have a problem with that. And the reason is because you and I say that God made the world. Amen? I mean, he did. We believe he's the creator. He made everything. The problem is, is when I look at the world right now, it looks pretty messed up. Uh, people are at war. People are fighting. People are killing each other. There are these killer diseases that ravage populations, ravage families, ravage children in foreign places. They have bad water. They don't have enough food. They're starving. There are people who, have, who, are, who seemingly are just serial killers. Uh, there are killer storms. Boy, last night, thunder, thunder, lightning, tornadoes, everything fell from the sky, didn't it? And, and, um, and Jesus looks at all of that. And when he came and walked the earth, one of the things he said over and over again, in fact, it was his core message, was repent, which means to turn, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so what Jesus is saying is that when I'm here with you, he said the rule of God is present. Now, what did that look like? Well, Jesus preached that. He taught that. 
Well, he did a whole lot of other things. Have you ever noticed? He cast demons out of people. He, he healed the diseases and sicknesses. That wasn't part of life as God intended. And he makes it stop, makes it go away. Cast the demons out. Killer storm comes up. Disciples just know they're going to die in the boat. What does Jesus do? He gets up and says, stop it. And the storm stops. Why? Because that's not the way he intended weather to work. And so over and over again, we see in the ministry of Jesus what life looks like when God shows up, when God rules, when God's will is perfectly done in our circumstances. Now, we don't experience that now in our world, do we? There's a day coming. We know it's coming. And the prophets, they saw that day over and over and over again. If you go two chapters to the right in your Bible, you're in Isaiah 9. If you go two chapters over to chapter 11, I want to read something to you. Chapter 11, verse 1. Okay? Chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, Chapter 9, he's giving hope to these people. Chapter 10 ultimately talks about how all the nations that are rebellion against God are going to be mowed down. They're going to be cut down. And when you get to chapter 11, he says, but there's hope. Listen to what he says. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Who was Jesse? David's father. Jesse was David's father. So he says, all these other plants, all these other trees, all these other nations, they're going to be mowed down. But something else is coming. He said, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. And interesting about the word branch, it's the word netzer. In, um, in Hebrew, and the word Nazareth comes from that. Big clue. Uh, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So here's an individual that's coming. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And so here is going to be a descendant of Jesse and David in the future, and when he comes, The Spirit of God is going to dwell in in him in a way that has never dwelled in anybody else, and he's going to rule in a way that no one has ever seen before. He's going to put everything right. Where there's injustice, there'll be justice. Where there's uh, ill effects and creation is broken, he's going to fix that. Listen to what he says next, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now, what's unusual about that? Do you dwell with a cheeseburger? I eat cheeseburgers. You think wolves normally dwell with lambs? Well, no, they eat lambs. You ever watch a nature channel? Good grief. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. I mean, they'll just be playing together. The cow and the bear shall graze. Uh, Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. I've seen a lot of lions. I've never seen them put a a bale, a bale hay in there. You know, they throw meat in there, and the lion's going to eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Listen to this. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, when God is in charge, 
when Jesus comes back and he rules and the kingdom of God is fully expressed, everything broken in this world is going to be restored. There'll be a new earth, a new heaven, and creation will be put back the way God intended it to be. And that's what Jesus was doing throughout his ministry. The king is coming, the kingdom is at hand, and when I'm at work and when I'm doing the things I'm doing and I'm doing these miracles, I'm demonstrating to you what it looks like when God rules, peace comes. Shalom. Life as God intended it to be. Not the way we see it around us day in and day out. Well, there's a third thing we see in this text. Is that the Prince of Peace, his kingdom cannot be stopped. His kingdom cannot be stopped. Look at verse 7. Let me just read it and make a few comments. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this child born, son given, who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, it says his government will never end, particularly the growth and expansion of it. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, and so again, there's this reference to being a descendant of David. Um, Originally, God, and I'm just going to compress a lot of biblical teaching here real fast, but originally God chose to dwell among his people in Exodus, in a tabernacle, in the holiest of holies, in the pure presence of God. But the people could not stand that direct exposure. And so there were all these symbols of what holiness means, all of these rules they were supposed to keep if they were have a relationship with God. But if you, if you reduce all of that to what God was after, he said, I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I want you to love one another. I want to dwell among my people. And then as you move into the era of Saul and David and Solomon, the kings of Israel, uh, God does something remarkable. He says, I'm going to express my rule through these kings. If they will listen to me, follow me, follow my heart, I'm going to manifest my rule through these kings. Now, he didn't do it through Saul, but he does it through David. And if you just mark in your Bible, 2 Samuel 7, or in your notes, you can go back and read the promise or the deal or the covenant that God made with David. David said, I want to build you a house, God. And God said, no, you're not going to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. What I'm going to do is establish you in such a way, because you have a heart for me, I'm going to establish you in such a way that your descendants will have an eternal reign. Because there's one coming, my son. If you go back and read Psalm 2, you discover the heart of God, that even though the world is crazy, he intends to manifest his rule through an anointed, adopted king. We know ultimately that's Jesus. But he does it through David and even Solomon. If you read 1 Kings 4, just read that chapter. You read how under Solomon, God gave Solomon great wisdom. He was kind of the original wonderful counselor. He gave him great wisdom, and through Solomon, there was peace. All the enemies were quiet. They had great wealth, great abundance, and everybody enjoyed it. Everybody, every man had his own fig tree. Every man had his own property. Every man's wife had 20 kids, but however they defined prosperity. And they called it shalom. That's the word used in that chapter, shalom. And so when Jesus comes, he is the perfect expression of what it looks like when God rules, when God has his way in our circumstances. When God's in charge, everything's different. That's true for us individually. That's true for nations. 
When God is in charge, everything changes. I want you to see um, actually a commercial that was made a couple years ago by a uh, candy maker in England. But they're describing a true historic, historical event that took place December 25th, 1914, during World War I. In France, they had these long battle lines. The Germans were on one side, the British were on the other. And on Christmas Eve, the Germans began to sing Silent Night. The English hollered across the couple hundred yards that separated the two opponents. They said, we're not going to sing in German, we're going to sing in English. And they said, go ahead and sing in English. And so they sang Silent Night in English. And they both kind of sang all night long, kind of a contest. The next morning, they came out of the trenches. All the food that their families and stuff had sent to the front, they began sharing with one another. And for one day, for a few hours... Something remarkable took place. I want you to watch this. Jenkins. Oakley. Night. My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön. Um, it's schön.
Christmas truce of 1914 resulted in a few hours, two groups of young 18 and 19-year-old young men doing what 18 and 19-year-old young men should be doing all the time. They got together, they, they cut up, they played soccer, they shared gifts until their generals heard what was happening and made them get back and, and fight a war. Over the next few years, 10 million of them would die. But for a few hours, we had a glimpse of what it looks like when people come together and Jesus Christ, in his name, people experience peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And you can experience that peace as well. It makes a difference who's in charge. Not only of the whole world, but of your own heart. And so that brings me to this question. How can you experience the one who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus said the kingdom of God was at hand. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. How do you do that? How can you come under his rule right now, right where you're sitting as a human being and experience the peace that comes from a prince of peace? Well, first of all, you need to discover how to have peace with God. Peace with God is where it all begins. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it tells us where this peace with God comes from. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, what does that mean? That means that when you and I uh, commit sin, that those sins separate us from God. And we will keep sinning, and we will keep being separated from God, and, and all sin, as a consequence of that, is a kind of warfare. I'm not going to let him be the boss of me. I'm not going to let him call the shots of my life. I'm going to be the master of my own fate, the captain of my own soul. And so someone has to make peace. Well, Jesus Christ did that through his cross. He took the sins of all humanity, your sins and my sins, on himself. And God punished him as, as if he had done the things we had done. And in that way, he made peace. He He provided a way of being reconciled with God. So you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, if you knew the things I had done, you would know I could never be a member of this church or walk with you people because my life is so messed up. Listen, Jesus died for all the things you've done that you consider to be mess ups in your life. He died for your sins. All of us are sinners. All of us have messed up. And when he died for us, he made peace and he brought an end to the conflict between you and and between God. Paul says it this way in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came to, to make the peace that only God could make between us and him. In the early 1800s, England and France were at war. One of the great battles they had was a naval battle Uh, the battle for the Nile in Egypt. And during that battle, the British Navy successfully defeated the French Navy. It was a terrible, bloody conflict. When the time for formal surrender came, the French admiral boarded the ship of Lord Nelson, Horatio Nelson, and he was in his finest regalia. His uniform was spotless. Uh, He had his, his medals, everything. And it was a way of honoring Lord Nelson to surrender by being fully dressed. He brought his honor guard with him, had a ceremonial sword on his hip. And so he comes, he bows to Lord Nelson on board ship, and then he sticks his hand out with a smile, and in this way he's going to surrender. 
When he stuck his hand out, Lord Nelson pulled his hand back. And he said, your sword, sir. Lay your sword at my feet before you attempt to shake my hand. You see, one of the reasons you and I have never experienced peace with God is we have never surrendered. We're still fighting. We're still fighting his control. We're still fighting his authority. We're still questioning his right to rule our lives. And we have yet to come and lay our sword at his feet. And if you've never done that, you don't have peace with God. Peace with God comes, he's done everything necessary, but peace with God comes when you surrender to his lordship. And then all your sins are forgiven, all your sins are wiped away. You say, well, pastor, I did that years ago. Uh, Pastor, I was saved. I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have peace with God. But, But pastor, if you knew my heart right now, you'd know there was no peace in my heart. I am so distracted, so upset. There's a crisis in my life. Uh, I'm unhappy, there's a darkness in my soul, and I don't have peace in my heart. How can I have that peace? Well, the second thing that's important, not only do you need to have peace with God, you need to have, secondly, you need to fully surrender to Him in order to experience the peace of God. See, there's peace with God, and that has to come first. But then there's the peace of God. One is a fact, when you trusted Jesus, Uh, you are no longer at war with God. He has forgiven your sins. You have peace with God. But there's a peace of God, an experience of peace that the Prince of Peace wants to bring into your life. Now, a lot of times you and I are just not conscious and we're not aware of the truth of what the Bible says about you and me as Christians. When I trusted Jesus Christ, He not only forgave my sins, But he wants to change me. He wants to change you. And so to facilitate that, he takes his Holy Spirit and he puts his Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit is there to help you grow, to become like Christ, and to experience things like peace. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes in Galatians 5, is love, joy, and what's the third one? Peace. And so only the Holy Spirit can produce that peace in us. That's why I have to have peace with God. If I don't have peace with God, I don't have the Holy Spirit. If I'm not saved, if I'm not a Christian, I don't have the Holy Spirit. But if I do know Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in me, I can know the peace and experience the peace of God as His Spirit produces that in me. Now, how do I cooperate or participate in what God wants to do in my heart? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. How many things are you supposed to be anxious for? Do your math. Nothing, right? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that crisis you're experiencing, that darkness, that heaviness, that sadness, that pressure, whatever it is that's going on in your heart, If you're going to ever experience peace of God, he's saying you need to take that thing and you need to surrender it to Christ. You need to come and you need to bring that to him. Say, Lord, I have no control over what's happening. I cannot even be happy on my own. I I, I can't, I'm, I'm losing a job. I've lost a loved one. I've got a sadness in my soul. Whatever it is, you come to him, acknowledge it, and surrender it to him. Lay it at his feet. And much the way that you were saved, when you surrender to him, say, God, I can't save myself. I need you to save me. 
I can't, I can't make my sins go away. I need you to forgive my sins. I can't change. I need you to change me. And much the way you began your Christian walk, you can experience the peace of God in the same manner by coming and laying it at his feet. Now, he says that when you do that, listen to what comes next. He says, make your request be made known to God, number, and then verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So you have the peace with God. Here's the peace of God. And what does he say it will do? If I've surrendered my, my needs, my worries, my crises, whatever, to, to him, he says this peace is going to experientially come into my life, and it will guard my heart and my mind. It will, it's like putting up a wall. It means to garrison, put up a defense around my heart and my mind. Now, does that mean that I'm going to bounce off the walls and be happy and crazy and that sort of thing? Well, maybe, maybe. Get the Holy Ghost, something like, might break loose. It's okay if that happens. But for most of us, I suddenly have a new capacity to deal with ha what's happening in my life. And I realize that there's someone at work in me, and it's not just me. And I find a new ability to be at peace, to rest by releasing these things to him, and then his peace floods the soul. And it's like somebody just put up a wall. And no matter what's happening or what's going to happen or what might happen, I know it's okay, he's in charge, and he's going to take care of me. Colossians 3.15, he says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. We studied that verse a few weeks ago. This experiential peace of God, I need to pay attention to it. And when I'm getting ready to do something, if I'm not at ease with it, and I don't have a peace with it, I need to stop. Because that peace of God is precious, isn't it? The peace of God is precious, and I want to keep that. I don't want to wound the Spirit. I don't want to drive Him away. I want to be, I want to be yielded to Him and let His Spirit guide me with this very thing we're talking about called peace. Well, I can't accomplish this in my own strength, but my part is to surrender the stuff to Him, yield it to Him, give it to Him, and then trust Him to do what He promises. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Uh, in chapter 9, in uh, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. When he is in charge, everything is different. And the only way he can be in charge is if the government rests on his shoulders. And that brings me to the bottom line. You can know the Prince of Peace only when your government, whoever's in charge of you, rests on his shoulders not yours. And what a relief that is. Wouldn't it be great not to have to be God today? Wouldn't it be great not to have to take care of yourself today, be in charge of you, solve all your problems, meet all your needs? And some of us carry that load, and it's far too great. It's been a lot of years now for me, um, but on a Sunday morning in the fall, Many years ago, 17-year-old, I got it. I understood that Jesus died for my sins. And I walked an aisle. I was on this side of a church just like this one, Maple Heights Baptist Church on Thunderbird Road, just west of the Five Points intersection in Fairborn, Ohio. And I walked, down, I walked down the aisle, and I had been talking to the pastor for several weeks, and I understood what I was doing, 
And a key verse for me was Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And for the first time in my life, I realized that salvation was a gift, not something I could earn. And I trusted Jesus Christ, and he came into my life, his Holy Spirit, by faith, came to dwell inside of me, and he began to change me from the inside out. And I want you to know that over and over again in my life, there have been times just like the things I described to you where I have been in crisis, my heart has been troubled, I have been sad, I have been in grief. I lost someone very precious to me this year. And I feel that grief. But when that happens, I have a resource, this one who is my king, and I can go and lay that at his feet and experience afresh the peace of God. I had peace with God years ago, but now I can experience the peace of God. Do you have peace with God? Have you made that initial step? Have you trusted him? Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. No one looking around, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask this question. Do you know if you died today, if you died today, that you would go straight to heaven? If you know that, would you just lift your hand up and put it down? If you died today, you would go straight to heaven. Thank you. All over the room, people did that. Praise the Lord. But you know, some of you weren't able to lift your hand. And I want you to know that that there can be a tremendous and dramatic change in your life today. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross so that you would work really hard to go to heaven. Jesus came and died for your sins. So if you would put your trust with him, he could save your soul. And so that you could know that if you died today, you would go straight to heaven. All he asks is that you come and lay your sword down at his feet. Stop fighting him. He is the king. Jesus said the kingdom is here. He said, seek the kingdom first before you do anything else in life. Find out what God wants. Find out who God is. Lay your sword at his feet. Would you do that this morning? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior, there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle, and I'm going to invite you in the balcony or downstairs just to slip out of the pew and come. Say, well, pastor, I've still got some questions. They'll have their Bibles. They'll help you. They'll answer your questions. They'll show you scripture. You can read it for yourself, how a person is saved and how you can have everlasting life. And so I want to invite you to come when we stand and sing. And then brother or sister, if you're struggling this morning, your heart's not at peace. The way you get peace this morning is the same way that you were saved. You've got to come and trust Jesus with your trouble. Come and lay that trouble, lay that grief, lay that crisis at his feet. And if you need one of the pastors to pray with you, or if you want to pray with a friend there in the pew, or or down here at the front, just come. Just come. Let this be a time where you respond to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to you.